Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. You've heard the phrase, kill them with kindness. But have you ever stopped and really thought about that phrase? I mean, I mean we, we all know what it means, but what an interesting thing to say. We are encouraging someone to be kind to the point where it kills them, right? Now, of course, we know that we don't want someone to perish from our being nice to them, but it is an interesting use of words. We want to be nice in order to make them feel bad about how they are treating us. And while it is an interesting use of words, we know that it works, right? Now, it might not always make someone treat us better, but it might get them riled up. It might also have them wondering why we are being so kind to them when they are being so mean to us. And as we look at our passage for today, we're seeing Jesus make an interesting point about this idea. He brings up an interesting angle to this whole approach. He says that it's easy to be nice to someone who's nice to you. It's easy to love your friends, but it's really and truly hard to love your neighbor. But it is what we're called to do even when it isn't easy. And as we consider this teaching from the Lord Jesus today, it's important that we understand that this is all to come from and to flow from the love and mercy that we have first been shown by God himself. We're called to love others and to be merciful to others because God has first loved us and he has first been merciful to us. So as we arrive in this passage that contains a familiar teaching of Jesus today, we're going to refrain from breaking the passage down into our points today because really there's one unifying theme through the whole thing. And we see that it all comes together culminating in what I was just talking about. We're to be merciful just as our Heavenly Father is merciful. And so we're going to start out landing in the first three verses today with, his, with what is arguably some of the best-known sayings of Jesus. And as we come to these words, we have to remember where we were last week. We had Luke's account of the Beatitudes, right? Jesus bestowed covenant blessings, and then it was followed by those woes, those covenant curses to those who do not do those things. Remember, they, these things were a reversal of the normal order of things. Blessed are you if you're poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. And the idea was that the kingdom of God is different. In the kingdom of God, things work so much differently than the way they work in the kingdom of man. And the passage that we're reading today is a continuation of that. It goes right into this from those woes that we read about last week. Remember, Jesus had a crowd following him, but Luke told us that he directed this sermon, this message toward his 12 disciples that he had just chosen to be his closest inner circle, his closest followers. 
he has just told them about the woes. Now he's telling them how they are to treat one another if they desire to be the ones who are going to obtain these blessings from God. He says, but to you who hear. In other words, if you are here, and if you want to follow me, Jesus says, these are the expectations of what your life is to look like. You are called, and you're commanded to do these things. And as we consider these statements here, we see that they are all very positive. Jesus tells his followers to love, to do good, to bless, to pray. Who can object to loving someone? Who would think it difficult to do good for another person? Who wouldn't want to bless someone or pray for them? If Jesus just were to say, you who hear, I call you to love, do good, bless others, and pray, it's not a very difficult thing. I don't think anybody would find it altogether too challenging. No one would object. But when you see the object of these statements, suddenly these statements become hard. They become profoundly challenging for us, right? So let's just start with this first statement that Jesus has here. Love your enemies. I can think of a lot of people that are hard to love, and they aren't even my enemies. But then Jesus takes it to another level. He says, love your enemies. Jesus has just had some of the hard statements of the blessings and the woes, and now he's right back it with the hard statements. But maybe of everything we've read so far that Jesus has said, this one might be the hardest. It is hard to love your enemy. They're more than likely not going to reciprocate, reciprocate that love. And in the kingdom of man, what are your enemies going to think of your love towards them? They will see it as a sign of weakness. And they will likely use it as an opportunity to take advantage of you. But Jesus doesn't put any conditions on this, does he? He doesn't say, love your neighbor if it is for your benefit. He doesn't say, love your neighbor in hope that they will be nice to you afterwards. And then if they don't do that, then you can stop loving them. That's okay. If if you've been nice enough, you can stop if they're not nice back, right? Jesus doesn't say that. And this is a hard saying because none of us want to do it. It's hard, and the chance of benefit for us is slim to none. Yet this is what Jesus is calling his children to do. This is what he's calling the citizens of the kingdom of God to do. That person that that pushes your buttons, love them. That person who has done terrible things to you, Love them. The person who took something from you, love them. That person that you completely disagree with politically, love them. Yeah, that's not exactly a barrel of fun that Jesus is prescribing here, is it? But this is the way of the kingdom of God. This is what we are called to do because God has first loved us. That's the big underlying theme that I mentioned just a few moments ago. 
And we're going to read it at the end of the passage again. But it's something that needs to be said here. We are called to love our enemies. Because in our sin and in our unbelief, we were enemies of God. And yet God God showed his love to us in the mercy that he has given to us in Jesus. And this applies to all the statements that Jesus makes here. Do good to those who hate you. Even though we were in rebellion against God, he did good for us in Christ. Even though we deserved the curse of his wrath, he has blessed us in Jesus. You get the idea. And just in case you don't get it, Jesus gives us an example that you can easily picture in your mind and understand here, doesn't he? To the person who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other cheek to them. Now stop for a second and imagine this happening to you. If someone were to slap you, what would be your reaction? How would you receive that? Even if you were to avoid lashing out at them, hitting them back, would you even begin to think about offering them the opportunity to strike the other cheek? And if they did, how likely would you be then to avoid attacking them if they took you up on that offer? I think it's important to understand that the difficulty of this is precisely the point. To do this is not normal. This is not the way of the world. This is not the way of the kingdom of man. But this is the way that the citizens of the kingdom of God should respond. And the idea is that Jesus has been teaching them to love, but he wants them to understand that this is not easy. This is not a simple thing. He takes it to a deeper level by telling us that we are to love not just those who aren't all that fond of us, but we are to love our enemies, and that means even people who would do us harm. And Jesus drives this point home even further with the example here of someone stealing a tunic. The love that you're to show to someone goes beyond love to someone who doesn't like you. It even goes beyond loving someone who would do violence against you. It means you even love someone who would violate the Eighth Commandment and steal from you. And notice how the story that Jesus uses here takes this to the next level. If someone steals your cloak, give them your tunic. So to put this in more modern terms, if someone comes to you and takes your coat from you, go ahead and give them that, but then give them your shirt and your pants as well. In other words, give them everything, even if they steal it from you. And Jesus continues his commands here with commentary on what to do when someone begs and someone who doesn't give you the stuff you lend to them back. These are two more really hard commands. As I said, the point here, it is a love that reflects the kingdom of God, is a love that even loves those that are never going to love you back, and in fact, those who wish to do you harm, those who will take advantage of you. And Jesus sums it all up nicely in verse 31 here. Now this is an interesting statement because it's from a positive perspective. This is a version of what we know as the golden rule. But the other versions of this outside of Scripture, the one 
the version given to us by ancient thinkers, was always negative. Jesus here is, is positive. Ancient wisdom had this in the negative. Negative. It said, don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. But Jesus flips it. He's good at that, isn't he? He always takes it and does it different. Treat others as you want to be treated, Jesus says. In other words, don't just avoid doing bad things to people. Instead, go out of your way to do good towards them, even though there's no benefit to you. And essentially, the point is love. Love even when it's hard. Or maybe it's more accurate to say, love especially when it's hard. And Jesus draws out just how difficult this is in verses 32 through 34. Loving those who love you is the expectation. Everyone does that. If you do something nice for a person who has also done something nice for you, there aren't going to be any headlines. You're not going to turn any heads. Of course we do something nice for someone who does nice things for us. As Jesus says, even sinners love those that love them. That's the way of the world. That's the economy in the kingdom of man. But here Jesus is instead giving us a vision of the kingdom of God. Sinners do good to those who do good to them, but believers are called to love their neighbor no matter what. As I said, this is the way things are to work in the kingdom of God because we know how things work in the kingdom of man. We know how they work. There's never peace, and there's consistently aggression to repay evil with evil in the kingdom of man. But the call on believers, the citizens of the kingdom of God, that command is to love others and not repay evil with evil, but instead do the good that we would want others to do for us. And as the passage closes up, we see Jesus bringing these ideas to the point, and he helps us to understand why we're to do these things. Love your enemies, he says. Do good no matter whether good has been done to you. Lend even if you get nothing in return. And while your earthly reward will be nothing, there is a reward promised in this passage by Jesus. Just as we saw in the Beatitudes, there's a reversal here, isn't there? You have no guarantee of good fortune or of wealth in this life. But we are told by Jesus that you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. We may suffer in this life for following these commands, but we will be rewarded by God. And so to drive this home, Luke tells us that God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now you might be thinking as we read this here, wait a minute, what is going on? I'm called to be kind to those who do evil towards me. But then God says that he is going to be kind to the ungrateful and the evil. What's going on here? I thought this was about me. It was about me being rewarded, not the ungrateful and the evil being rewarded by God being kind to them. What's happening here? Well, the point is that God has this posture towards us. He forgives our offenses. He forgives our sin against him. And so we're called to model the love that has been shown to us by God himself. We are to be imitators of God. And so our desire here is not just about doing the right thing, 
by checking off the box that we have loved our enemies. That's not the point. It's to come from us reflecting the love of God, that love that has been shown to us. And as believers in the Lord Jesus, we're able to have a full and deep understanding of what's going on here. We have been deeply shown the mercy of God. We know that we were dead in our sin, and God rescued us despite the fact that we had not loved our enemy. God loved us even though in our sin we had turned our back on Him, and we had struck Him multiple times. God showed mercy to the enemies of God when He saved us, when He saved us by His grace. And so the Christian ethic that we see here goes beyond this general human ethic of being nice and doing good. It says, do this to those who don't deserve it. And why is that? It's because we didn't deserve the grace of God, and yet He still abundantly poured it out on us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's with that in mind that we consider here today how to apply this passage as we leave from here in hopes that we might apply this passage to our lives, that we might love our neighbor, that we might love our enemies, that we might pray for them, that we might bless them and do good for them. Of all the passage, passages that we could look at, this passage might have the most blatant application really easy to see. But it also might be one of the most difficult things to actually do. We read the commands of Jesus. They aren't too confusing here at all. They're they're not difficult to understand. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good for those who hate you and pray for them. Really clear, but also really hard. But Jesus helps us understand how to aspire to these commands in that final statement of this passage. Be merciful as God is merciful. This is precisely why the gospel is to be put out in front of us consistently as believers. Because when we understand the mercy that God has shown to us, we then desire to show mercy to others. In Wednesday evening, catechism class, I've been working to get the students to know and to remember the three categories of the Heidelberg Catechism. You may remember them as misery, deliverance, and gratitude, but to simplify it and to use words that we still actually use in our modern vocabulary, you've probably heard it simplified to three G words, guilt, grace, and gratitude. Okay? Now, we initially got the three words sorted out on Wednesday, Wednesday night. They could remember what they were, but they weren't getting them in that order. Well, a few weeks ago, a student did a good job of telling me why it's so important, why I've been driving home the order, guilt, grace, gratitude. They got it right by saying something to the effect that when we understand our sin... And then we understand the grace that God has shown us. We're going to want to live in gratitude because God has loved us. God has shown us his grace. As I said, that's not exactly what they said. I didn't write it down, unfortunately, but they did a good job. And in all my years of teaching students, 
I think that may have been one of my proudest moments because something really sunk in. They got it. They understood that when we understand the guilt that we have before God and the grace that he has bestowed on us, our life then flows with the gratitude that we are called to live with. Essentially, what we talk about with the order of those three words is summing up what Jesus is saying here. Be merciful because God was first merciful to you. And as we come to the table this morning, we do so in gratitude. We come with a deep understanding that this past week, we did not perfectly love our enemies. We might not even perfectly loved our friends. We've not always done good to those who hate us. We also know that we have not blessed those who cursed us. But God showed his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved me, even though I failed to love as he has called me to do. He was merciful, and he still allows us at his table to feed us and to remind us of his mercy and his grace that he has so abundantly shown us in Christ. And so may the mercy and grace of God motivate you today as we have heard of that mercy and as we will taste and see that mercy may this be used in us to depart from here today that we might love our enemies not because it's something we need to check off our list of things that god has commanded us to do no that's not the reason may we leave here today fed at his table and may we desire to love our enemies because we have first been forgiven and been loved and been shown mercy by God because we do serve a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. May we reflect that as we interact with the people in our lives this week. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website, edgertonfrc.org, or our Facebook page.